All right, welcome everybody to the Bobby D'Souza show. My name is Bobby D'Souza. I'm the author of the book Fallen to Rise. And today it is such a joy and privilege to have uh, Professor Atul Khosla on the show. All right. Hi, everyone. Good to see you. Thank you so much, Atul. And before we start, I would just like to give you a little introduction of Atul. Now, somebody who does not need much of an introduction, Professor Atul Khosla is the founder, trustee and vice chancellor at Shunni University, which is nested in the hills of Solon Himachal Pradesh. Uh, he's been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. He's founded and led multiple startups. He also started the Everest Group business in India and Asia in 2003-2006. Uh, we will hear more from him because he, he can do more justice to, you know, to whatever I'm saying. But the best thing that I've discovered about Atul is he's charismatic, he's passionate and he's done such amazing work. So Atul, welcome once again. It is such a delight. Thank you, Bobby. And it's such an honor to be in your show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Atul. So Atul, uh, as we begin, let, let us start by asking you one question that how did this adventurous journey start? How did you just begin? So I'm going to go back uh, probably uh, 40 years, Bobby. My parents are educationists and my, uh, my grandparents were educationists too. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, I've got the blood of an educationist. Wonderful. And as I was growing up, as I was in school, you know, being a scientist was what I really wanted to be. So I remember reading stories about Newton and Einstein and Hargobind Khurana and uh, C.V. Raman, Chandrasekhar and all the biggies, Ramanujan. And I always had that, that I wanted to be in education. That's right. I was uh, ending up at IIT where I did my undergrad mm -hmm. and for some reason IIT was not the place that I blossomed into a researcher. I moved into becoming a capitalist from a socialist mm -hmm. and here I was doing an MBA in Bombay and joining a consulting firm called McKinsey. But mind you, you know, when I was interviewing for McKinsey, I still had this in my mind that I would like to be an economist one day and do a PhD in economics from the Chicago school. Wow. So getting into education was always in my heart. Mm -hmm. And then I was very lucky in the early 2000s. I ended up doing a very interesting and a high profile piece of work for the prime minister of the country, uh, Atal Bihari Vajpayee. Uh, we were looking at how to take Indian technology education to the next level. And that's when we conceptualized McKinsey and the government of India, how to scale up the IITs. And now you've seen, you know, from five IITs, there are, I think, 25 plus. So all that work was done by my team. Hmm. So when Shulani was founded by my dad and he did a phenomenal job in setting it up and he invited me to join Shulani, I think uh, I just blinked an eyelid and said, yes, that's what I want to do because that's what I always wanted to do, which was to give back to the students. Mm. So whatever little I've done in life, uh, Bobby, it's because I got great education. And I strongly yes. believe that if you can give great education to our students, they will do exceptionally well. And that's mm. my passion. And that's why I joined Shulini and I continue to build my life around this passion. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. One of the things that you mentioned was that, you know, you already had a role model of education, which was always there, you know, while you grew up and somehow that inspired you. And today, you know, uh, I'm so privileged that I have met you personally. We've uh, done some work together and just to see the joy of things that happens at Shulini uh, consistently is amazing. 
Now, one question that I had for you is, you know, during this times of uncertainty, lockdowns and uh, questions that we have, every industry has been hit, uh, specifically even the education sector. So how do you basically lead, you know, a university in times of this chaos, in times of lockdown, where students are all online and, you know, campuses are basically meant for, you know, physical presence. So how do you manage this uncertainty and how do you help your team lead in times of questions like these? I think three answers over here, Bobby. First, uh, I'm trained as a consultant where we try to take uncertainty and unstructured work and provide some structure to it. Mm. So that's one. So, I mean, that's what we do all our lives as management consultants. That's what McKinsey taught me. That's right. So, uh, so uncertainty is not something that uh, bothers me, I would say. I think the second thing is uh, we're all crystal gazers. We're all trying to sort of see into the future. Mm. And I've been talking about this disruption for the last five years. I've been talking about online. I've been talking about a new way of university education happening because of changes in technology. Mm. So I have to tell you that when uh, COVID happened, we were able to transform into an online platform within seven days, mm. largely because we've been working on this for the last five years. Yes. So it was nothing new for us. It was something that we had done in the past. So I'm very excited about the way the world is going because it brings in the best of both worlds. Like you said, the physical environment of learning from each other, which is peer learning, but mm -hmm. also the learning Bobby come over to campus and you always had constraints because you had to travel all the way from Bombay. But today mm -hmm. I can get you within a minute, right? You can speak to the students mm -hmm. because you're all connected over the internet, over the wire. So it brings in what I call a democratization of education. Mm. So we've had five Nobel Prize winners speak to our uh, students. We've had celebrities like Yuvraj Singh and Harbhajan Singh and Anupam Kher and Diya Mirza, Kiran Bedi, Kiran Kher, you name it, speak to our students. Mm. We've had politicians speak to our students. We've had corporate CEOs speak to our students. This just wouldn't have been possible yes. in the old world, Bobby. Yes. And I see this whole world of hybrid online and offline together coming together. So the world of education is disrupting just like it's happened in other parts of the world, in yes. other parts of other businesses. So I'm very excited. I think students are getting new opportunities. Students can learn amazing things with the use of technology. And mm. it's going to change the way we all behave. It's going to make education accessible to the mm. least common denominator, which means I could be the child of a laborer sitting in Arki, which is a small town in Himachal. And mm. I could still dream to be a Nobel Prize winner, which I couldn't wow. even get years back. Wonderful. That's the power of technology. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. That's amazing. And basically, it brings hope and it removes that special access that only few get. You know, because there is an online world. You know, I'm, going to, I'm going to joke over here, Bobby, and I've always had this. This tension with the so-called English-speaking Boston Brahmin, uh, you know, kids from the so-called public schools of India, the Doons and the Srirams and the modern schools or the Cathedral of Bombay. And you have to see the movie uh, Hindi Medium for that. So there's a beautiful movie Hindi Medium uh, where uh, they actually bring this issue up and I actually cried after seeing this movie. There's another beautiful movie called uh, Skater Girl, which I'll request and encourage all of you to actually uh, watch. So it's all about this 
two parts of India, two parts of the world, the haves and the have-nots. Mm. And we've always believed that the have-nots can't succeed. And we've always believed that, you know, these stiff English-speaking kids are the ones who are going to succeed. And let me tell you now with this digital revolution, it's the students from the smaller towns who are going to kick the shit out of these guys who have privileged backgrounds and go to these privileged schools. And mm. that's the exciting part of the country. That's the exciting part where the belly of the country will succeed, not just the creamy layer, as I call it. It's the Goldies who study in the primary school next to Shulani, for example, who will now have the opportunity to learn in the best and become Nobel Prize winners, IS officers, corporate CEOs, which they couldn't even dream of earlier. And mm. that's the revolution that's going to come in, Bobby. Mind you, it's going to, I think it's also going to bring in some social unrest, but that's okay. That's a price we have mm. to pay for these kids who are underprivileged or lesser privileged to step up. So I tell this to my son. I said, gone are the days where you were privileged. Now you will have to fight with the guys who have risen from the dust, who have fought in the streets because these are the kids are who are street fighters know how to fight it harder than you and they are the ones who are not going to compete with you so mm. you better learn the tricks of the trade that they know because you don't know how to fight the way they do mm. wonderful wonderful while you were speaking i saw a lot of passion and a lot of excitement uh, in you and also a lot of vision for inspiring and empowering india so where does it all come from bobby it comes from uh, three places i would say first my background Mm -hmm. So my parents, my grandparents have been socialists. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in an environment where they were helping the poor, they're helping the lesser privileged, the underprivileged. And especially my mother, who has a huge empathy towards, I would say, the lesser privileged. Mm -hmm. So somewhere it's in my genetic code, a desire to help uh, what I call the lesser privileged of the country or the world. I think the second comes from... Uh, you know, a lot of reading that I had uh, as I was growing up, I was I would read, uh, I would read uh, about Karl Marx, I would read about Lenin, I would read about Rabindranath Tagore, I would read about uh, a freedom movement, Jawaharlal Nehru, Gandhi. I've been hugely influenced by uh, some of these thinkers, and I think again, uh, a desire to change the destiny of India is something that's I think very very deep inside me. I think the third is also my own experience, uh, which is growing up in a very small town, uh, which used to be a population of 15,000. Mm. And I never spoke English at home. So when I went to IIT Kanpur, I couldn't speak a word of English. And when I joined McKinsey, which was and continues to be a very stiff company when it comes to style, I had a huge challenge because all mm. my peers came from backgrounds where you know, uh, in the classical context, they were speaking English or they had that so-called Western style. Mm. And I didn't have that. So uh, I had to really learn from the start. I had to learn from uh, pretty much uh, uh, 101 on how to eat with a fork and a knife, how to dress with a, a tie and a suit, how to brush my shoes, polish my shoes, how to speak. I remember I bought a camera and I learned how to uh, speak by speaking to a camera every day for one uh, for six months wow. uh, for six years sorry for six years at a stretch I I would speak to a camera 
and I learned it the hard way. So, and I had trouble because my feedback was not up to the mark. My first three, four years at McKinsey were very, very tough, Bobby. Mm. So I empathize with students who come from different backgrounds. Yes. And, and I think it's not just about, you know, there's always a difference. When I see these so-called uh, highly evolved Indian students go to, let's say, the United States, they also fail because they don't know the culture of the US. Yes. So I think it's a journey that all of us have to take yes. while students yes. from uh, smaller towns of India have to learn how to uh, become world beaters in first in a large Indian metro, then move beyond that to go mm. to uh, New York or uh, wherever else in the world. Mm. Uh, the journey has to be there and it's vice versa. Students from uh, America, if they want to succeed in India, have to learn mm. the Indian way. So I think it's a cultural transition. And uh, my belief is that if the belly of India doesn't succeed, if the majority mm. of India that lives in smaller towns doesn't succeed in the classical sense and the classical sense is working in the best jobs and these best jobs are either in the IAS, the government of India, MNCs or being uh, you know uh, founders of startups hmm. uh, then the challenge is there yes. uh, and we need to overcome this challenge by creating great educational institutions and that's the role that Shulani is trying to play. Hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one question I had for you was, you know, as leaders, when we are trying to lead other people, we also go through our own quest times of questions, times when we might feel disillusionized, confused, a little lost. How do you handle your own inner battle? You know, because every morning you have to rise up and you have to show up, right? No matter what happens. So how do you as a leader handle your own inner battle? Any suggestions that you would like to give to other leaders around, you know, who might be having questions and, you know, don't know how to handle the uncertainty. So different people have different styles, Bobby. A uh, few things which I do. First of all, I'm a die-hard optimist. Mm. I never think negative things. If I have a negative thought, I just close it. So I have the ability to block negative thoughts in my wow. mind. Mm. So 90% of the time I succeed. So I don't go home with stress. I don't go home thinking negative things. I just shut that part of my brain and mm. I can do that. Uh, wow. Second, I think, I'm also a very emotional person, Bobby. Mm. So uh, uh, sometimes I, I engage with with people. I pass my stress to others. Mm. So I'm 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 like a kid outside a candy store. So I don't keep that negativity inside me or that stress inside me. So I'll call my team and I'll share my views. In fact, mm. in my previous job, I was called a popcorn machine because I would keep on coming with ideas like a popcorn machine, pop, mm. pop, pop. So dreaming, not thinking negative, having lots and lots of discussions and deliberations with your team yes. and off late uh, meditation. I think these are things that mm -hmm. uh, keep me excited. Physical work, uh, exercises, playing a sport, following a passion, a hobby mm -hmm. also helps. So I would say apart from your passion for work, you also need to have a passion for something else. Yes. The passion cannot be money, Bobby. The passion cannot be money. You have to ask the purpose of your life. You have to yes. ask, why do you live? Mm. Uh, for me, my why is about giving back uh, to the students of India and building a university mm. that's great, that gives back to 
the community it's not about money it's not about building shulini uh, into a great university because that's an outcome of the purpose mm. so i think finding that purpose becomes very very important and i yes. think as a leader all of us should determine what that purpose is so i left oliver wyman also because uh, i thought and told myself i cannot make rich people richer anymore mm. uh, and uh, coming to education was a great way for me to find my purpose so yes. if there's anyone who's in the corporate world listening to me i would say find your purpose if you have enough money for you to survive just dive and do what you feel like doing yeah. that's the way to go don't find run after all your life that's right that's right when we find our why there is passion excitement automatically it comes and you start enjoying what you're doing and you can clearly Absolutely. see we clearly start seeing you know with what you're doing the last question i think question. the last thought yeah and the last thought uh, bobby would be find a thought partner it hmm. could be anyone it could be your father it could be your wife you need someone that you could share with hmm. share your anxieties share your passion marks so i think finding that thought partner becomes very very important in the process hmm. thought partner yes and who you engage with you know the circle of people you engage with at least some people whom you can really trust you can open up i think it really really helps and and like so true one last question for you before we end was uh, there are so many educational universities you know who have a lot of questions basically because the whole chaos of covid-19 has hit so much people around what is your suggestion or advice to the education industry right now in regards to how should they lead what should they do because you know people aren't coming to the campus they are all going to be online when it's going to open up these are big questions that they have so any suggestions that you would have for the education sector in india and global three things bobby first uh, disruption is a way of life mm. so we all need to learn uh, to live in this world of disruption and uncertainty Yes. Someone would ask me how would 10 years down look like for uh, education. I would say I don't know. Mm. So an analogy that I give is it's like you know the steam engine of uh, the 18th century when the steam engine was discovered they started putting railroads everywhere. Yes. The speed of yes. the rail engine, the speed of the steam engine, the first steam engine was 6 miles an hour. Mm. compared to the 4 miles an hour of the horse carriage and the steam engine was supposed to be path breaking disruptive mm. but today we know the steam engine has moved on to become an electricity based locomotive yes. which in japan is running at 500 miles an hour or 400 miles an hour yes. so what's going to happen in the next 20 years we don't know i think it's going to be fundamentally different there're yes. going to be new devices yes. you can't have a boring computer as a device when you're spending 8 hours in front of it there's going to be a new sound system you can't have this boring mic that you and i have that we use today it's good. some technology will come in someone will come up with better ways to engage in education uh, how will it be i don't know so let's wait let's evolve and let's adapt so that's the first thing so learn to live with disruption hmm. i think the second thing in the near term is to be uh figuring out what you believe is the right answer and my right answer is going to be that it's going to be the world is going to be disruptive the world is going to be hybrid and it's not just about online versus offline i think it's also about fundamental thesis about education are going to get questioned mm. for example why should there be a four year degree why mm. not two years why not six years why not one year i think the new education policies already 
talking about multiple entry and exit points. I don't know how much you know about the new education policy, but it's talking about flexibility. It's talking about technology. It's talking about uh, credit banks, research. So all of that is going to come into into education. Mm. So uh, figure out what you think is going to be the future of education and start investing in it. I would say that's my second thought. So the first is learn to be in an unstructured environment. Mm. Second is you find what you think is going to be the near term end state and start working towards it. And I I think the third is going to be uh, invest in intangibles. Uh, A classical university would invest in what I call a big fat university environment. So they're very proud of you've got thousand acres of land. You know, you go to the websites of most universities, they'll be very proudly show these so-called beautiful buildings. Uh, huge infrastructure. Uh, in old days, they were called Ivy Leagues because they had Ivy on their walls. So that's how the Ivy Leagues came into play. And then they created networks. Buildings and tangible assets will not be that important going forward. It's going mm. to be intangible assets. Your knowledge, the quality of your faculty, the training you can give to students, the culture that you build inside the university, because students will not come to you just for learning and education anymore that you can get from an online platform. They will come for an experience. So we all have to be ready to give that experience to the students, which they seek, like you rightly said, peer to peer learning. Yes. What is the environment we have to create for that particular experience? And I think if we can do these three things, we're all set for the future. I again repeat, learn to live in a complex and unstructured world, an uncertain world. Number two, uh, we all need to invest in the intangibles, which I said. And the third thing would be to make sure that we figure out what we think is strategically the near term and long term end state and invest towards that. Mm. So these will be the three suggestions I'll have for educationists. Uh, Keep talking amongst each other, figure out what's happening. Uh, No one knows what the end state is. So Mm. we will have to determine where and how to invest. Wonderful, wonderful. Atul, thank you so much for the wonderful insights that you shared. What we'll also do is we'll put a link. Anybody wants to know more about Shuni University, the links will be mentioned below. But Atul, thank you so much for your valuable time. This is definitely good insight for the education sector, but for any leader across the world. So I appreciate your time. I think the last thought before I say goodbye to you, Bobby, would be uh, there was a terminology I grew up with, which was think outside the box. Yes. And I want to say, don't think outside the box, break the box. It's yeah. time for us to do absolutely new things. Mm. Take the risk, do something that is truly, truly disruptive, of course, yes. in the right direction with the right set of values. And if you're able to do that, continue with the tenacity with what you think is the right thing to do, and you will end up with a gold mine, you'll end up by solving the purpose that you want to be in education or any other uh, business environment that you're in. So Mm. break the box and change the world because people who believe and dream that they can change the world and are crazy enough to do that are the ones who change the world, Bobby. That's right. Absolutely. And it's our opportunity to change the world. So let's make it happen. Thank you. Thank you, Atul. Thank you so much for the wonderful insight. I'm inspired and I'm ready to go and do something amazing. Thank you so much. 
look forward and look forward to seeing you back on campus bobby i think absolutely. Uh, very soon absolutely take care have a great day thank you so much ato bye bye